0: It's said that your real life begins where your comfort
1: zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson.
0: I just had a lovely conversation with today's guest, Laura Black, and I'm really eager to dive in more with you, Laura, because you cover something that I'm just now beginning to explore in my life. And I want to begin our conversation with something I saw you post on Facebook. or I don't know if it was recent or something that you had featured because it's at the very top of your Facebook page. And you wrote, I grew up in a world that measured the worth of a man by his success, a woman by her beauty. I was not born with the second, so I put every ounce of my being into the achieving the first. It's only now that I realize worth is measured by character and deeds of kindness, not by what we take, by what, but by what we leave." And that really spoke to me. This is exactly what I've been thinking about so much, especially recently. I think this has been a bit on my mind throughout a lot of my life. And maybe women in general can relate to this because we have, most of us, grown up where men are rewarded for success and achievement. And while women are too, there's a lot of emphasis on the beauty side of it. And I agree with this statement about worth being measured by character and kindness and by what we're giving and leaving behind, not what we're just taking. So I'm curious what inspired you to write those words? First of
1: all, it's a pleasure being here and it's a pleasure speaking with you. So thank you so much. I grew up in Miami and in Miami, like LA and a lot of other areas. And again, this is a generalization it attracts people who like to show off their body. So I would drive by University of Miami campus and there's women in bikini sunbathing. You don't find that in the Northern schools. And there is such a strong emphasis on our looks and physicality. So wherever I would look, people were running or playing tennis or biking or working out, which is all wonderful for our health. But it was an extreme for me, who was a very pudgy, frizzy-haired, acne-faced child. And it was really tough because I felt less than. I did not feel that I mattered. I didn't feel important. My parents very much wanted me to lose weight and get in shape. After I finished writing my book, Climbing Down the Ladder, and thinking about this for decades, I realized they thought that was in my best interest because it was those days where a woman was to attract a husband and you had to be beautiful to attract a husband. So how could you be complete without that? And I, it's not like I didn't try. I went on every diet there was, but at night I'd be in bed and Mrs. Fields would call to me and I'd crave the sweets and I'd sneak donuts in my bathrobe sleeves. And the more I was pushed to be who I wasn't, the more I needed to fill this void and I filled it with food. Then as you said, later on, I started learning, hey, I'm good at something. I'm good at business. I sold the most Girl Scout cookies in my troop. Albeit, I ate a lot of them. (laughs) So that really helped the sales. But I could sell. I went around and sold greeting cards, Christmas cards. I'm Jewish, but I sold the most Christmas cards. And I started getting confidence in business success. And the more i Filled my ego with that kind of success, the less I needed to fill my stomach. And it was also the days of those brain beauty wars. You had to pick a team. Nowadays, I think it's hard for women because we're expected to be on both teams. But in the end, none of that matters. It matters that we have character, that we one day leave this world better than we found it. And I wish I could erase a lot of those years of anguish.
0: Oh my gosh. Laura, as you're speaking, I can relate to so much of this and I wonder how many, how common this is for people and maybe not just women. I wonder if men are experiencing this too and it's just not as known or maybe it's not even a gender issue at all. It's just that brain beauty wars, as you're mentioning, is something that seems to impact us all because there's society says you need to be successful, you need to be intelligent and you need to be attractive. And attraction is so relative and yet none of, and maybe perhaps because it's a bit undefined because everyone essentially is attractive to somebody. It's in the eyes of the beholder. We know that. But yet there's this weird air of like never being quite attractive enough. And actually, as you were speaking Now, and as I was reflecting before we even had this conversation, I kept thinking back to the documentary I watched last night about Pam Anderson. She just released it on Netflix recently, and it was a really fascinating thing to watch because this woman that was praised and exploited for her beauty also is indicating how much she wanted to be seen beyond her appearance. She wanted to be known as talented perhaps she wanted to be seen as intelligent and sh- and it was incredibly difficult for her and i think that's why this documentary is so compelling because most people think someone like Pam Anderson has it made because she was seen as the sex icon this perfect beauty this desirable person and that our society says that's what we should go for and yet even if you are this holding this high standard of beauty you still might want the other side of it, the brain side of it. And it goes back to what you were telling me earlier, Laura, before we started recording, which is we always want what we don't have, right? Or we're If We could have it all. We could
1: have both. My daughter is beautiful inside and out. She has the brains and beauty as her friends. It isn't that either or game we had to play. At some point, women even played the role. So that they would build the male's ego. Tell, boy, you're so smart. We demeaned ourselves, really, for to play up to someone else's ego. And that's how it was. Then we had such a hard time saying, where do I fit in? How can I be taken seriously? How do I? act in the workplace. It's always been tough for women. If you I was a CEO of a big company and they always say if you're too tough you're a bitch if you're too nice you're walked all over. If you're too beautiful you're... and we didn't have a lot of women role models. Now your generation has way more and it's become the norm but it was a tough road to carve out and I still think there's lots of challenges. Who am I when I'm out there? How do I react? Do If someone flirts, do I just laugh it off? Do I I pretend I didn't hear it? I want to be taken
0: seriously and it's not easy. It's not. And I also think despite the fact that there seems to be an increase of role models, and I feel very grateful to have had some of those presented to me, I still notice that women are extremely sexualized, even young kids. That's a huge issue right now with pedophilia and people dressing up their children to look a certain way and kids under 10 years old getting on social media and showing off their bodies. It just seems to continue through the generations. And I wonder if there's an end in sight. Do you think that there is? And if not, how do we change that?
1: I sure hope. That parents of today, moms out there, dads out there, try to raise a whole person whose ego and whose self-esteem is based on their inner worth. That we're praising how nice was that you lent Sally your skateboard. Or that was so you to go over to Joey because he's new in the school and no one's playing with him. This world needs some kindness and inclusivity. And those kinds of values are what we need to stress. The other is so superficial. Yes, we need to be healthy. We want our kids and we want to eat healthy because we want to live long. We need to exercise because, again, we need to build our bones and we need to be healthy. Healthy's different. But to base our whole self-esteem on something so transient, and I'm in South Florida now, I walk down some of the areas, there are more med spas than gas stations. And there's no end to it. They fix things I never even looked at in my own body. I just saw on TV the other day, There's, and I guess people know about this, but that they take the fat out of your cheeks. I'm like, Gosh, if that was the only place my fat was, I'd be so happy. (laughs) So it's like there's no end. Your elbows get done, every part of our body. And it's so sad if we would take all those dollars and efforts and did it towards education and kindness and things that really mattered. What a better world.
0: Yeah, it would be a better world. And And I think that is so fascinating because... It doesn't quite make sense to me why this continues to happen. If it, you'd think that women, as they become more empowered, would learn these things. And it's not meant to shame, by the way. I think that it's easy to say, oh, focus on your brains instead of your beauty. But right now, there is the pressure to have both. And I also see a correlation between younger women myself included, feeling like if I can just use my appearance, then that can help me become successful. I see this, especially on social media with the younger millennials and Gen Z who might be trying to use their body because they know sex sells, because if they can attract people through their appearance, they can make more money. And maybe they'll, they feel like they'll stop focusing on their appearance once they have enough money. But I don't know if that will ever actually happen or if it's just a myth. And also something you and I were talking about, Laura, which was that um, maybe women feel like there's a ticking clock, like they only have a certain amount of time to use their beauty. And then later in life, they'll focus on their brains. What do you think? That would, wouldn't that
1: be a shame? <laughs> it would be a shame. If we waited, but you're right. You're right. There's been so many studies that show attractive people have a head up, that they get hired more easily. People want to be around them. We like attractive people that we do. However, if we look back into the 1800s, the Rubenesque period, women were beautiful because they had curves and they had something to them. That was the beauty. And then we had the other extreme where the super, super skinny was the beauty. So I think someplace along the line, we have to realize that this is made up standards that go with the times, just like fashion. It's We all want to feel good about ourselves. So i never say we want to look our best. We're going to a wedding. We want to look beautiful. We want to look our best. That's different than... Taking that as the highest ideal to reach for. You know, let's reach for more. Let's, and we can and do have both. We're smart as women, we're smart, and we have now every opportunity to do what we want with our lives in so many ways. And at the end of the day, as I tell my kids, nobody can give you that feeling you get from looking in the mirror and saying, I'm proud of myself. Nothing can fill us up except for our own understanding and owning our awesomeness. And if we don't get that somehow, then we don't have anything because then we're just kind of covering the fact that we
0: don't feel like. That is so true. And it feels hard because of the messaging that is so prevalent. And that could be based on social media, that could be based on what you were describing, like just walking outside your door, depending on where you live, you might be bombarded with advertising and people that look a certain way. And it just, it can feel very challenging to go inward, but absolutely that's where the value seems to be. And it reminds me of another subject matter that You focus on that. I'm really curious about, which is finding meaning beyond the business card. I love that phrasing because there is the the superficial side of things. Like we might feel satisfied about ourselves based on our appearance, and some of us and or feel satisfied because of productivity and achievement and success and all of that. But I love the emphasis on the meaning outside of perhaps both those things. So. What, in your opinion, is that meaning? If it's not just beauty and brains, what's beyond that? It's so
1: ironic. I was thinking about it. My first book 12 years ago was called Big Butts, Fat Thighs, and Other Secrets to Success. And that book was really helping women bring in business. Because everything, whether it's ratings, whether it's clients, it's about because we are at any given institution, whether it's a law firm or a stock brokerage or we're real est- selling real estate or social media, it's can we bring in business? And the way we do that, one of the key ways is wearing our identity on our sleeve because we never know where business comes from or connections. If we're out at a soccer game with our kids, we want the other parents to know that we sell real estate in case they're going to list their house. Or we want them to know that we're an estate planning attorney because they might be doing that. Whoever you sit next to on a plane. So wherever we go, it's a chance to form connections and bring in business. So it's so important as we're building our career to advertise our identity subtly, to get it into conversations, to let people know what we do. Before we leave, we would give a business card and say, listen, if you ever want to talk about your legal problems, please feel free to give me a call. Then comes the day where we leave the workforce. And when we have built this identity all these years, and those of us, like yourself, who become very successful at what they do and it is their identity, we leave that box of cards in the drawer, feel naked. Like, who am I now? And what's my purpose? And what's my meaning? So it's a very difficult transition, and that's what climbing down the ladder speaks to. For me, I had to go through a really a near-death experience to help turn myself around, not on purpose. Out of nowhere, I got sick, and my colon burst, and I became septic, and the doctor had to tell my husband, bring the kids in. They didn't know if I'd make it through the night. And up until then, I didn't know how to not be productive. I thrived on productivity. When I was going to leave the workforce, I was going to have to have very accountable, quantifiable goals. How many books did I read? How many states did I visit? Because if you think about it, we start school, we get grades, right? So we're measured. We have these quantifiable measurements of success. Then we're looked at what college did we get into? And where did we rank in our class? And are we going to graduate school? So we're measured, measured. All of a sudden, no one's measuring. So we lose that identity and there's this like spacelessness. I describe it as feeling like an empty tube of toothpaste or the cottage cheese that is in the back of the refrigerator. Nobody wants because it's reached its expiration date. I did learn to be in the moment, to, I learned that when we're so goal driven, which is great because we want to reach our goals, but it's like we have blinders on and we're only playing in one lane. And by taking those blinders off, there's this whole world that has passed us by that we have a chance to rediscover And there's this sacred space between when we do leave the workforce and we die, there's a space. And shame on us if we don't maximize that and see everything we've missed.
0: So are you saying that has been there all along? It's just that we're missing it because we're so focused on the measurements as being part of our identity?
1: And our goals, yes.
0: What is that like to have that realization? Because as you were talking, I was thinking, I would love to live without measurements. <laughs> I actually run, Laura, a private community called Beyond Measure. That's That phrase, Beyond Measure, has so much meaning to me personally and now more professionally. And I'm striving towards that. I don't like the measurements. And when you're saying there was like a sense of emptiness or loss of identity without the measurements, that's something I've never considered. I always thought, Getting beyond the measurements was the goal for me, (laughs) but not a place where there'd be like a gap. So that's really interesting. It is. And
1: I remember so vividly, one day I was sitting on my deck at the beach and I looked up and there was this big bird. I don't know bird names. There's a big bird and it was flying and I watched it. And the first thought that went into my head was, I've never watched a bird fly. <laughs> as dumb as that sounds, I never watched a bird fly. Then it occurred to me the bird was soaring. It was only flapping its wings when it had to change direction or for specific purposes. But most of the time it was soaring. And I realized we're always flapping our wings and we're not giving ourselves enough time just to soar. And there's a whole richness that can be found. We don't have to keep striving. Next, next, next. Unless everyone has lists. I'm checking it off my list. Next, next. And there's no free time. There's, it's all about getting everything done and achieving our next goal. And if we're also raising children, it's, there is no time. And how sad and life just goes by.
0: So what would you recommend to somebody who's listening to this now and in this moment thinking, I want to soar. That actually sounds really nice. (laughs) How do you stop and how do you can you opt out of it at any point in your life, even if you're still in that striving period, like success wise? Or what if you're a parent? How do you pause and Stop flapping your wings when it seems like so many parents don't even see that as an option.
1: That's right. And and therefore, we're teaching that to our children, too. We start with small steps. We could take moments in our day if we're very conscious and very mindful. Even when we drive our kids to school, we could say, let's look out the window. And who can find a bird or tell me what we could just do? Hey, this is mommy time. I need five minutes. Just little pieces. Everything doesn't have to be overplanned and overthought. Just do, even if it's a couple of hours or if we say on Saturdays from one to four, there's no plans. This is what we're just going to be. We're going to play at the beach or we're going to run up the hill or We're going to sit and look out at the water. Whatever it is, we can make those moments. Some people go to meditation. It's wonderful if you like that. Or just mindfulness, just being in the moment. Even on a walk, you could be very mindful of the moment. With other people, instead of talking all the time and thinking, what am I going to say next when they're finished? That's how we listen. We listen, say, okay, how do I respond to that? That's a normal conversation. Or what example can I give that happened to me? That's even more extreme than what they described. We could be present. So practicing being present.
0: It is a practice. And I feel so blessed to be able to listen to people like you. And that in itself has been an ongoing practice on this podcast. I noticed when I first started this show, that I was just trying to think of the next thing to say. I still do it cuz there's this pressure and there's this like, idea that you need to be prepared. And maybe that's part of it, Laura. Like that preparation. For me, preparation feels like a sense of security where if I'm prepared, I feel safe. If I'm prepared, if I keep flapping my wings, then I'll keep the momentum. There's a fear perhaps that like, if I soar, what if I fall? Except
1: if you find yourself dropping, you could flap a little bit, but that doesn't mean you always have to be flapping really hard. It's so true. And it sounds obvious. And again, as women, we're so hard on ourselves. We think we need to do everything perfectly. Again, a generalization, but I just see it too much. If we have a partner, we let the partner help us. But we want to do everything. Everything We have people for dinner. We want to fold the napkins in the right way and make the best food and do the best job at work and raise the best kids and wear the best clothes. It's just how about the idea of being the best you are? How about permission to ourselves that we are enough? We've done enough. We're good enough. And once again, own our Awesomeness. There's nothing to prove. At the end, there's no report cards. No one ever. That you've never been to a funeral
0: where they said, "I'll give him a B minus." Oh my gosh, that's so true. It's, Laura, I <laughs> saw somewhere on your social media, or maybe it was your website, a testimonial about. How fun and funny you are. And it's, you're just having me laugh so much over here with, and these are beautiful examples and visualizations too, because maybe in these moments we can think about ourselves as soaring instead of flapping. And we can think about as morbid as it might feel, like the end of our lives, like at our funeral how what a relief to know that our teachers aren't going to show up and (laughs) give us another grade (laughs) or their or our bosses or anyone I imagine that some people are actually might be concerned about what's written in their obituary or their gravestone like I think some people get so consumed with what's going to be said about them even after their lives they want to leave a legacy and perhaps that puts pressure on people too I hope my legacy is
1: that and I hope yours is, and most of us, is that the world was just a little bit better because we were here, yeah, just a little bit, whether from raising a child or more than one child, or being kind to those around us, or helping the environment, whatever it is, because we were here, the world's a little bit better. That's the kind of legacy, but I've never seen on a tombstone. It was a C minus life. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. It's going to be the years with the space and it's up to us how we fill that little dash.
0: Yeah. It's so comforting to hear you express this because there just feels like so much striving and I'm trying to be more purposeful. So it's just beautiful timing for my life and hopefully for the listener as well. And as you were Sharing some of these things, I keep reflecting on the joy I felt doing nothing or doing something that was away from the busy day to day. For me, it's typically travel. And I imagine a lot of people feel the same. There's a big desire to go see something outside of your current environment, to do something out of the ordinary. And three years ago, I started doing this more regularly, I started driving taking road trips around the country. And I didn't intend for them to be by myself, but nobody really wanted to go with me, <laughs> except for one friend. I started off the, my first road trip three years ago. I've done a few over my life, but this now, newer tradition, I, I started with a friend and I felt more comfortable going with her. But on the... The way back, since I did this round trip and she didn't come on the way back to Los Angeles, I was by myself and it felt really scary. It was definitely out of my comfort zone, but I identified how incredible it was to just be so focused on the travel that everything else in my life melted away. And then I did it again the next year and now I have this incredible, almost like a, in my mind something I can reference at any point and I can go like time travel back to these trips and remember what it was like to just stand and do nothing and look out over an incredible part of the country, like the national parks I, I've been to. And sometimes I'm looking at those birds like you're describing. And sometimes I'm looking at magnificent mountains or the ocean or bodies of water. and, and, it puts me in that state of tranquility and appreciation and peacefulness and presentness that you're describing and i realized that i want that more often i don't want that to be just a couple times a year no it gives perspective so like
1: word i like to use is perspective if you if we can imagine a tall apartment building and if we live on the first floor and we look out the window We'll see the street and we might see some people and we'll see that view. But as we climb higher and higher till eventually one day we're on the 50th floor, the 30th floor, we could say, oh, there was a river there. You see everything out of a different lens. So the more we put ourselves in these different positions where we get perspective, it makes us more, it broadens us. And in the process of growing and being more and getting perspective, the little things just don't matter as much. And that's not to say I never want to imply when we have a job, we want to do the best we can. We owe that to ourselves and our employer. So I'm not saying we should slack off or not do a good job at all. Just saying within that and all our other responsibilities We have to nurture things that will help us grow. Big thing for us, especially women, is friendships. It takes time to nurture a friend. And when we're working and if we're child rearing, that's really limited. And as we get older, that's going to be a big source of support for us. So I do urge listeners out there to do a survey of their friends. How many close friends do they have? Not just people that you're bored that you spend time with because you're bored, but people who you really love. How much time do we give to our community? How much time do we let ourselves learn something new that doesn't have anything to do with anything, (laughs) whether it's artwork or music or rocks? It doesn't matter. How many times do we allow ourselves to feel our spirituality, whatever it is, if we're religious or not? All these things make us more. And one day when we do leave the workplace and we are finished with our other domestic responsibilities as such, we need that whole group of things to fall back on and to provide us comfort.
0: That reminds me of something else I was curious to hear from you, which was about, as you put it, moving to the front of the line in your family after your parents pass And I'm also curious about the role of the marginalized matriarch. I'm not sure if those two points are connected or separate discussions, but the front of the line of the family, it sounds a bit scary. My parents are still alive. I have a very good relationship with them. And one day they won't be here. And I'm the oldest of me and my, I've just one sibling and I'm the oldest. And that sounds a little frightening, to be honest.
1: It really is. For me, within few years of each other, I lost my dad, unexpected. And a few years after that, I lost my mom, both not that long ago. And it's funny, it comes at the same time in my life where we leave the workforce, our kids grow up and out of the house. And then our parents get, it's a lot of loss at one time. That no one prepares us for this. No one really talks about this. And I remember my husband saying to me, You'll get through it because everyone on earth has to lose their parents, but it hurts and it's really sad. So I say, it sounds very trite, but we should call our grandparents more if we have grandparents and we should call our parents because we will lose them. That's a given. And we do take that role and our parents are role models. So we want to take from them what was good and the stuff that maybe wasn't so much we
0: could leave to the side and become those models
1: for the next generation.
0: Yeah, that was part of my inspiration for the road trips that I've been taking too. As, as during my year now annual trip, I started visiting different people from my family that I hadn't seen in a long time. I realized that I was passing by their homes. Yeah, I, the first trip I did. One of my cousins reached out to me and she said, Oh, are you going to be passing by? It hadn't even occurred to me to visit her because we weren't very close. So the next year, when I did the trip, I made it a point to see her and I got to meet her kids for the first time because she lives in a part of the country I never go to for business or pleasure. Like it's just not something that's regular for me. And that added to it, just like seeing the beauty of nature and being present. But as you're saying, the connections I got to build with family members. Gave me so much gratitude and connection, and thinking about a cousin even who I hadn't been close to for most of my life. And now suddenly we're developing a relationship together, and I get to re- develop a relationship with her children. I don't have children, and I at this point probably won't have them, but now I can connect with other family members' children and so my friends' children. And to your point, growing into that place of being a role model feels so deeply satisfying.
1: It is. And I love that you do that. I think that's just phenomenal that you're taking the time to meet these family members because family's really important. It's grounding. It's And again, as we get older, it's more and more important. And the marginalization comes from, I was really proud today that I could get my Mic set up, and I didn't mess up anything. So there's the technology. It's when I'm with my adult children or even my grandchildren, I could sometimes get to A to B, but it's probably 15 steps where they just go do, 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 And they're like, Bubby, all you had to do, like the flashlight went on my phone, and I couldn't find the place to shut it off. So I was real proud. I said, hey, Siri, (laughs) shut off the flashlight. And it went off. But they're hysterical. So now they're all looking at me a little different because I don't know technology. I don't know the latest stars, the pop culture. I don't know. I'll watch something with the who's going to win these awards. And I've never heard of any of the people. So, again, it's marginalized. The kids roll their eyes. I don't know what's in fashion anymore. Like, are pantyhose still in? (laughs) And do you wear them with a dress? And if you do, is it nude or is it black? And what color nail polish are you supposed to wear? Yeah, I go get my nails and there's 87 colors. We used to just have different shades of red. (laughs) Do I go to green? Can I do blue or yellow? So all those issues. Oh, can I wear a fanny pack if I'm doing a big walk and have no place to hold my stuff? And the kids will laugh and they'll roll their eyes. Okay, mom, it's fine. But there's a little bit of marginalization in there. And I can feel for all around for a big dinner. There's lots of conversation that does not include me because they can relate to each other, whether they're doing the latest gym thing that they're all doing and they're comparing their times or did you binge on this show i'm not including those conversations they love me they honor me they're wonderful to me they'll call me they'll call on me for work advice or wisdom those kinds of things but i of it in a lot of other areas
0: it's really refreshing to hear that perspective because that's another thing. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone articulate it in the way that you have. And it brings a level of compassion because I'm I'm all for inclusion. It breaks my heart to be excluded and it and it breaks my heart to see other people feel excluded. I want everyone to feel included. And that age gap can happen. I worry about that happening to me, actually. I've noticed, speaking of the flapping... Sometimes I feel like I need to flap my arms really hard to stay up to, with everything that's going on because there's a lot of societal pressure to know what's happening to be cool and hip and to not wear the wrong clothes and to know like you said the stars and that what comes up for me is a fear of embarrassment of or being like looked down to as less than so how do you manage that it sounds like you're acknowledging it and you're acknowledging a lack of inclusion sometimes but is it challenging for you, or is it something you're accepting of? I try to
1: put things, again, use that word perspective. I think it's more important that they know who's on the Supreme Court and how they might vote than who's on the Super Bowl team. That's me, because I think that these are going to be long-lasting decisions that affect all of us versus who wins the game. I'm not putting down the game. It's fun. Let everyone have fun. It's a good way to get together. And it's really good food. But I try to say we only have so much capacity. Our brains can only take in so much. I'm choosing at this stage of my life to fill it with things that help me grow, help me look at life in a different way. I'd rather read and listen to great people's ideas, smart people. I'd rather pick movies I'm not big horror or sci-fi for the entertainment. I just saw the new Tom Hanks. My name is Otto. I love that. Like, what a great lesson. So I choose the meaningful things, and I laugh at myself with the kids, and we have a great time, and they understand this is how it is. It's not going to change.
0: That's so sweet and profound at the same time. It's something that we can all relate to from either side because we've been the person... That might feel like we know it all and we're with it and we fit in. and we've probably have been the person that doesn't feel like they fit in and know what's going on. And that's okay. I think it's a, hum- a very common human fear or wound to not feel like you're fitting in, but maybe that perspective over time helps you realize that it's okay. You don't have to be everything to everyone. It's one of the lessons I'm taking away from this conversation and feeling present and finding your own meaning. And it just sounds so joyful.
1: It is. And it is. It's, I would say this time of my life is probably the best time. And it really is. And I didn't have growing up, my mom had, wasn't joyful. She had too many pressures on herself. And so I did not have a role model that aging is happy. And I think as women, the biggest gift we can give our children is that aging is happy, that life is good. Yeah, there's some really bad times and there's tough times and there's tragedies, but all in all, I think most people are good. I think we're more alike than we are different. We want a better world for the next generation. We want the right things, the good things. We are more alike. Most people are good people. We get in our own way a whole lot. But we want to focus on the positive and just be grateful and mindful of it. And it's a wonderful time of life. It just is because we don't have the stresses of making our numbers. <laughs> Uh, And being and all, and did we bill this much or do this much or have this many viewers or all those things? We don't have all those. But we do have did I spend today in the right way? Did I waste time? Did I appreciate it? Did I smile at the little hunched over man who was having trouble walking down the street?
0: Did I pet the dog? Did I do all those little things? It's like moving from the pressure to do all these big things to finding the inner joy of doing the small things, which I feel like a lot of us really yearn for. And sometimes it's hard to admit because there feels like so much pressure. One thing I find so fascinating about life is there seems to be like this collective idea of pressure and being perfect. But if you speak to individuals, very few people feel perfect or that they're doing right or they're good enough. So where does this collective idea come from? If each individual person is not really contributing to it because they don't really feel that way. Who has achieved perfection? Who has achieved all of the things that we think we have to do? Probably no one. And yet that myth still looms over us. It doesn't quite make sense how that happens. It is. I just recently read a quote, and I can't tell you who said it, but I thought
1: it was so profound. It said, those who want perfection in everything feel perfection in nothing. And that really hit me. The other I wanted to share with you, after college, I took a job in a women's clothing store. I became a buyer. It was a small chain of clothing stores. And I loved when a woman would get in the dressing room because I liked making her feel good. So quickly I could see that this would look good on her and this would, and I'd bring her lots of clothes. And it amazed me nobody would come out, look in that mirror, if they even came out, and smile. They would look and say, my butt's too big. My arms are too long. They, would, Everybody, there was this one woman who had to be, I don't know, 5'10", long blonde hair, those huge blue eyes. I would have taken my right arm and handed it to her for her body. And she said, this is making my stomach look fat. And I'm like, where's your stomach? And I, something clicked and said, we're all playing a game that nobody can win. Why are we buying into this? And the same with we could take that and put it almost in any area of our lives. At some point, we have to say, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I've done enough. It's okay. Do you feel like you've reached that point, Laura? Laura? I'm not perfect in my philosophies either. (laughs) I think um, more often than not, more often than not, I'm very filled with gratitude. And I do appreciate a whole lot. Not all the time. I have to remind myself, like, why are you even dealing with this? One thing that's really helped me lately is... There's a book by Cameron on creativity. And she really pushes every morning before you get out of bed, write three pages. Don't think about it, just write it. And I've been doing this for over a month now. And it's amazing how much garbage gets out of our head. Before that, I did one of the apps for meditation. So I think I need something for 10 minutes to, and it doesn't matter what it is. Just think we all do some kind of whatever that is. Maybe it's a quiet walk where we get all the noise out of our head and just appreciate a little bit because we do have so much to be thankful
0: for. We really do. And I love finding resources and reading. It sounds like you do too. So I wanted to see if I found the right book that you just referenced. Is it Julia Cameron's work, The Artist's Way? Or I guess she has another one called Walking in This World, The Practical Art of Creativity. This one is The Artist's Way. Ah, that's a really great book and a wonderful reference to share. I'll put that in the show notes along with everything else we mentioned, including your books, Laura, we have your older book, which again, I just love the title, Big Butts, Fat Thighs and Other Secrets to Success. And the newer book, Climbing Down the Ladder, for anyone who's been inspired by this conversation and wanting to dig in more along with me, you can go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Or you can look below in the description and there'll be a link to Laura's website where you can quickly go through. But at wellevator.com, there's a full blog post with all of Laura's quotes, the full transcript, the links to everything we mentioned. So if you really want to dig in and find it all, it is there for you in the show notes section. And Laura, this has just been such a rejuvenating, comforting, inspiring conversation. I Deeply appreciate your perspective. I'm so glad you use that word perfect perspective instead of perfection <laughs> so frequently, because that's exactly what you gave me and the listener. And also just keeping words like that in mind are really helpful. What perspective can I get? And how can I look at this from a different lens or a different viewpoint? And Being present too is one of my big takeaways. It's something we can all do by taking a breath, closing our eyes, taking a moment, or looking for bigger opportunities. Like you were saying, educating yourself, doing the reading, taking those small moments. I love the example you gave of petting the dog or helping somebody that you're passing by on the street. Those have filled my heart with so much joy. Those tiny little things I can look back on They matter so much more than some of the things that we spend our attention on that don't feel good. That's exactly right. And you filled me
1: today by spending this time with you. It's your joy and your ability to listen just radiates. So it was really a pleasure and a gift. And I so appreciate it.